I wanted somebody to tell me what I was doing wrong because you can only improve. If you, someone tells you, oh, it's not done like that. If you do it this way, you might get a better a better story from it and things like yeah. that. So I just went held me from ever and just went for it and just did every competition under the <laughs> Welcome to Rights for Women, a podcast all about celebrating women's voices and supporting women writers. Before beginning today's chat, I would like to acknowledge and pay my respects to the Dharawal people, the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded, along with the traditional owners of the land throughout Australia. And a quick reminder that there could be strong language and adult concepts discussed in this podcast, so please be aware of this if you have children around. Let's relax on the combo couch and chat to this week's guest. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Rights for Women. It's Tuesday, the 28th of November, as I'm recording this. I cannot believe it is the end of November. Like, where has the year gone? Absolutely mind-blowing. And I'm about to record a chat with Nancy Cunningham, who is uh, part of our Quiet Achievers series. And Nancy has a new book, Crossing the Bridge, her first novel coming out on the 1st of January with Escape Publishing. So we're going to be chatting about her path to publication and the new novel, which is historical fiction. In terms of what's happening with me, I am very pleased to say, as I reported last week, I have finished the revised version of Out of the Ashes that waiting to be edited by a publisher. And I was really excited to get that out of the way and to finish the second part of Eve's story, which started in Blackbottle Lake and will continue with a third book coming out next year, yet to be written. And I am currently throwing around some ideas for a novella. Now, I do have a novella out at the moment in the Country Vet Christmas Anthology published by HQ alongside Penelope Janu, Alyssa Callan, Stella Quinn and Lily Malone. And that is just going so well. Thank you so much to everybody who has bought a copy of that, who has reviewed it, who has shared it on socials. It's in its second reprint and it's going really well. So that's available, a Country Vet Christmas Anthology collection of romance and romantic elements stories with mine being in the latter and my story in that A Christmas to Remember is about a vet, Darcy, who returns to her hometown uh, when her father has a stroke and she comes back to see him. They've been estranged because she didn't want to take over his veterinary practice and went travelling instead. And at the same time that Darcy returns, a bushfire breaks out. So she is called in to help with some native animals who need care at the local retreat and sanctuary alongside the carer there, Chad Stewart. So that one's a romantic elements stories. There's also great family drama and some personal issues that Darcy is dealing with, as there is always in my stories. That's in the Christmas anthology if you're interested in grabbing a copy of that. As I said, I'm working now on the novella for next year, which I have to have into the publisher at the end of January, and I've also got some plans to go back and do a revision on Because You're Mine and also to write a new book in the Blackwater Lake series. So I've got a lot coming up in 2024. Some other things that I have coming up in 2024, and one is a writing retreat. It's looking like it is going to be mid-May at in Currajong at the foothills of the Blue Mountains, probably. At this stage, I'm just locking in details. But I've had fantastic reception to my initial post about the went out on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to everybody who responded saying they're interested in coming along. 
It will be limited numbers, so if there's enough interest, I may even run two of those retreats, but I will definitely keep you posted and keep an eye on my Facebook and Instagram and website for more details in the coming weeks. In other course news, Turn Up the Tension, the last round for 2023 has now finished and I'm going to be launching another round of that in February. I'm going to do a quick revision on that and just iron out any kinks, although the current round of uh, participants have found it really helpful and have given me some great feedback on the course. So that one will be starting in February. I'll put the link in the show notes. If you'd like to sign up for Turn Up the Tension, you can pay in instalments. And it's really my kind of penultimate writing course, putting into that course so many things that I have learned over the years about writing and have really enjoyed teaching and put a lot of time into creating this course, Turn Up the Tension, which is helping the people who have done it really fine-tune and polish their manuscripts. So watch out for that if you're up for a writing course in early 2024 online. In terms of what's happening with Rights for Women, podcast, of course, is going to continue next year. I've already got some guest hosts and some interviews lined up for the new year. And if you're a Patreon supporter, I have some new Patreon bonuses that I'm going to start rolling out, but I'll talk about those next week. I'm still fine-tuning those. And Nancy, who we're about to talk to today, is, of course, a Patreon supporter, and I'm really grateful to everybody out there who supports the podcast through Patreon. You can support it for somewhere between $3 and $5 a month. I have been struggling a little bit with getting the bonuses out this year because it's been such a hectic year, but I'm getting back on track with that and they're going to start rolling out again very soon. So I do appreciate everybody's support for the podcast. And if you do enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could write a review of any episodes that you really do enjoy wherever you listen, because what that does, it's a bit like Amazon uh, ratings and reviews. It pushes the podcast up the rankings, it gets in front of more people, so more people are likely to see it, and I would love to be able to get Rights for Women out to a bigger audience. So really appreciate anybody out there listening if you can take the time to do a review wherever you do listen. So let's get on to talking about Nancy. Nancy Cunningham is a writer from Adelaide, South Australia, who has always loved storytelling in all its forms. From writing plays at primary school and original stories at high school, influenced by Abbott and Costello movies, and Archie comics, loved those back in the day, to a career in agriculture telling the scientific stories of Australia's rural beating heart to life-changing personal events that placed her back on the path to a more creative journey, the writer in her blossom. Novels, short stories, TV, movies, video games, songs and poetry have all inspired her to write stories in genres from historical to romance to crime and science fiction to short literary fiction. But her 20th century historical fiction is where her writing heart really lies, especially stories involving stoic heroines of the past overcoming adversity. Nancy lives in the Adelaide suburbs with her tech-savvy partner, always good to have one of those, and real-life hero, her book-obsessed, gorgeous, curly-haired daughter, and Molly, the retired greyhound. When not writing fiction, Nancy works as a research science in entomology and has such a fascinating job. Nancy's debut, Crossing the Bridge, has been a winner and finalist in several awards, including the prestigious Valerie Parve Award, the West Houston Emilys, and was long-listed for the Romance Writers of Australia Emerald Award in 2020 and the Sapphire in 2021. In 2020, it won the CYA All-Stars Conference Unpublished Adult Manuscript Prize, and it's going to be out on the 1st of January. As I said, it's Nancy's first published full-length novel, but she has been in loads of anthologies with novellas and shorter-length fiction, so it's going to be great to chat to Nancy all about that. 
So, Nancy Cunningham, welcome to the Rights for Women Convo Couch. Oh, thanks for having me on, Pam. It's been, yeah, was it long time listener, first time caller? <laughs> oh, it's so good to have you on. And, and Nancy, you are a Patreon supporter of the podcast, which is fabulous, and I really appreciate that and all the, the Patreon supporters out there. And it's really lovely to have, it feels bringing a family member on onto the Convo Couch. So, well, that's really nice. Yeah. <laughs> So congratulations on Crossing the Bridge, which is coming out on the 1st of January. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk all about that. But before we get on to that, it's been so interesting to watch your career over the last few years, Nancy, because I think we first met maybe back at a RWA conference or an online thing or, or something a few years ago. Yeah, I think I think it was that I joined RWA in 2018. Yeah. And I remember going to my first conference and I remember arriving on the first day and I had actually, I actually bumped into this lady in the street and we were talking and she said, oh, you're going to the conference? I said, I'm going to the conference and we got talking about writing and all that sort of stuff and then we got to the hotel and we're at the bottom of the stairs and I looked at her and I said, you're Valerie Path and I had not met Valerie before and she said, yes, I am. And I was just like, I was a little bit gobsmacked because I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing romance writer in Australia, really. Yeah. And she actually wrote about it in her memoir, like how we had met and we were just two writers talking until this bubble of magic just afterwards when found out who she was. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? But then I, stood, um, I came up to the, the conference area and I think you were there if somebody else, I can't remember who, it might have been Lisa Island, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so funny when you arrive at one of those conferences, isn't it? Because people are like coming in and you're talking to one person you haven't seen for ages and then somebody else arrives and another yeah. person. And it's just this whole weekend of a gab fest, which is great. Yes, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> and always with writers, it's wonderful. But Nancy, what I've loved about watching your career over the last few years is how you've really applied yourself to the kind of both sides of the business, really, the craft side in terms of continuing to write and get more and more material behind you to enter contests, to put your work into anthologies, you've also really educated yourself about the business of writing. But I don't know how you first started to be a writer. So could you tell us a little bit about your origin story in terms of where your writing came from? Sure. I've listened to a lot of the podcasts where writers talk about where they started off. And a lot of them say things like, oh, I've been wanting to be a writer since I could hold a pen in my hand kind of thing. But I didn't start off like I, I think where I started was I just loved storytelling. And from when I was a kid, I loved fairy stories and I loved, you know, Enid Blyton and all of that sort of stuff. And then when I was older, it was more movies and TV and music. And then I was in my 20s and it was more music like the more sort of poetic or lyrical the music, the more I loved it, but the storytelling aspect of songs. And then in my 30s, met my partner and he was really into video games and he introduced me to the world of storytelling and video games. And then it was in my sort of 40s, probably late 30s, I had a bit of a health crisis and I was working as a research scientist. I've always been creative, I always looking for a creative outlook and then I thought oh maybe I could do some writing or whatever and that's how it started really so I met a friend online and she threw playing video games and she said oh you should try natural novel writing once and write an original piece of fiction and I was like oh I guess I'll give that a try 
So I did that. That was 2011, I think. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so it was a while ago. But I didn't really take it seriously at that time. I was half doing stuff. And I did National Novel Writing Month. And I got my 50,000 words at the end. And I'd written a science fiction story. But I actually realised at the end of it, all I had was 50,000 words. I actually didn't know how to write a story at that stage. Just something completely new for me. I love that you've drawn inspiration from so many different kinds of genres. You were saying about the video games and the music and Mm. poetry and books and all those things. So it's really interesting, isn't it, that we can be so inspired by Mm. so many different forms of creativity. And then I think this comes up on the podcast quite a bit, that work takes precedence or jobs or a family or just life getting so busy and we tend to forget about all those creative outlets. It's so great to tap back into them, isn't it, and to just really re-energise yourself. Yeah, so it, it basically took a bit of a health crisis for me to get through that. So I was diagnosed um, in my late 30s with um, multiple sclerosis and I sat back and I thought, look, I think I need to expand on my sort of I guess, creative side as well. And I'm still working as a research scientist and I still love doing that, but I just needed something extra to keep me, keep my mind busy and not focus on being ill kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Had you had your daughter at that stage, Ned? No, see, that was the thing. The only thing was I had actually gone through IVF and it had been a bit of a turmoil essentially and this was the last gas effort, so that was in 2011. Thought I can't do this anymore. I have to basically think about my health and, and stuff like that. But we had one last go, and lo and behold, I fell pregnant. I, I'm writing my first ever manuscript and having a baby at the same time. <laughs> That's amazing. Maybe there's a link between your creative blossoming and your having a daughter. I had Jess, and I didn't really do much after that. So until a bit later, understandably. And you want to be able to enjoy your daughter after having all that trouble too. In, in Getting her. That's right. So you mentioned Nancy National Novel Writing Month. Now, I know from your Instagram post that you are currently doing Nano and you yes. have been absolutely blitzing it. How has that been going? I tend to find I work really well in this of creative energy because I wouldn't be able to sustain something like that all year, but, you know, it is, and it is a really busy time of year, but I think as a consequence of that, you can really focus. You can go, okay, I'm going to do this. I've got all these other things I have to do. I'll just, for the mornings, for the next 30 days, I'm just going to write and I do a lot of planning beforehand. So I've got some structure to guide me through the months and then I just go for it. That's essentially how I've worked in the past. And then at the end of it, I have this incredibly messy first draft. Like, it's terrible. If you looked at it, there's squiggly lines. If you look at it, there's red lines and green lines everywhere. So... And lots of mistakes. That's all right. That's what first drafts are meant to yeah. be. But I just had to get it out of my head. So you've already hit your 50,000, I think, haven't you? Yes. Yeah, I had yeah. it the other day. I've almost finished the first draft, but I just wanted to, and I think this is the thing with any kind of planning you do, you can plan in something. And I do, I plan it out. Okay, I'm going to write 35 chapters and 2,000 words roughly per chapter or try and populate those chapters. Yeah. But I got to a certain point and I've done a few things in the lead up to it because I write chronologically. I, I don't jump all over the place. 
And then I thought, oh, I'm going to have to change this around a little bit. So I've adjusted maybe the last three or four chapters to reflect some of the stuff I'd actually written earlier in the month. Mm. So it's flexible, the, the plans. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great way to be with the planning. I think there's great merit in planning. And obviously mm. we've talked about this a lot on the podcast. Some people plan, some people don't. But I think that's the key, isn't it? If you're a planner, be yeah. flexible. And if something comes up that you hadn't planned for, go maybe go with it and see where it takes you. Yeah, and I think this is where you might start observing things like plot holes and things like that and you just go, oh, that's not going to work. I could probably fix it in the second draft or, you know, you don't have to have anything refined. It's that bigger picture of things. Is is it working? Are the beats in the right spot? That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, Nancy, in the acknowledgements for crossing the bridge, you mentioned a couple of mentors that you had. I think Victoria Pernham being one of them. Yep. Could you talk a little bit about the role that those mentors have played in developing your writing and your career? Yeah, like I said, after I did that first novel, which was in 2011, I didn't really do anything until about 2015, and then I thought, oh, I should go back and maybe learn how to write a novel. So I did, I've got a, an organisation here in South Australia, it's called the Workers' Education Association, the WA. And I had done lots of courses through them, all created like a, you know, I'd made a kitchen table and a bookshelf oh, and I did mosaics and then I did life drawing and all of that sort of stuff. And then I saw that they had a course in how to write your novel. So I did that course and I learned, oh my gosh, stories have structure. I didn't know that. And that really appealed to me as the sci- as a scientist in me. Yeah. I thought, oh, wow, this actually might be better for me to be able to structure something before I actually put pen to paper because the first time I'd written anything, it was just free form, completely free form, and I don't think that worked for me. So that was in 2015, and then in 2017, I wrote another novel, which is the very, very first version of Crossing the Bridge, Ah, and I did that uh, a little bit before NAMO in 2017 and during NAMO and then towards the end of 2017 I did a course through Writer's Essay called Dynamic Dialogue and it was run by Victoria Perman and Victoria said to me, she goes, what have you written? And I told her what I'd written. She said, oh, you should join the Romance Writers of Australia. And I was like, oh, okay, all right, all right, I'll give that a go. <laughs> and so in 2018 I joined and... I think for the first time I realised how little I actually did know about writing. And I've actually been looking to people like Victoria Perman and other authors and thinking, how, how do I do this? And I, I definitely needed some sort of mentoring at that stage, but I found RWA and I found the Aspiring Group in particular, so they were fantastic to be associated with. Danielle Lyon, who runs that, she's pretty awesome at corralling us into discussion about everything writing, so it's been really good. But I did, with Victoria in particular, I did the Manuscript Incubator, and that was in 20, well, 2020 it was. So let's run through S, um, SO Writers. So that's a course where you have a, a manuscript and then you run through it and you have like um, monthly meetings and then you get um, access to lots of different courses and things like that. And so I did that for that year. I wrote another novel, which is The Chuck Grace. But at the end of it, there was a group of us who said, oh, we'd really like to continue this, maybe not in the same sort of format. So the following year and this year as well, We've done this sort of small group mentorship with Victoria and she's been incredibly, she's been amazing, right, supportive of us going through this process of being aspiring to emerging writers. So it's 
been really, it's been a big part of my writing journey. Mm. Oh, that's fantastic. And Victoria is such a great um, supporter, as you say, of other writers. Yeah. And just, oh, she is. She's a real, yeah, stalwart in the writing community. So if anybody gets a chance to do that course, and because Victoria's running it again this year through Writers SA. Is that online, Nancy? Yeah, I think it's, on, I think it's online. It was online some, for us when we yeah. did it. And I think it is as well. Okay. That's one people can check out. Sounds great. Now, part of your kind of membership of RWA and things that you've been doing over the last few years has been entering competitions in RWA, hasn't it? Tell us a bit about that. I've been a bit of a competition junkie, I think. So pretty much from the moment I joined, I, I was encouraged to actually enter competitions and it has been probably one of the best things for me right at the start to enter these competitions, get an idea because I, I really was craving somebody not just pat my back and say, oh, you're doing a great job. Because they have, so RWA, for anybody that's a thing, has lots of competitions where you enter, it could be like a first kiss competition, a certain number of words, and you <laughs> enter a story or a part of a story that includes a first kiss, or they have loads of others too that they need to. Yeah, like Valerie Parv, when she was alive, she ran a mentoring competition as well, so... The idea was you entered the first 10,000 words and you got through to the first round or you were the sixth finalist and then she would pick somebody from that group of six to mentor over the next 12 months. And there's quite a lot of members within RWA who are now published authors who actually went through that process. I have actually entered entered twice, I think, yes, and final twice. And I've entered three times, actually. I didn't get anywhere the first time I did it. And the result of some of those uh, competitions that you've entered, of course, has been that you've had your work published. Yes, that's right. So what are some of the anthologies that you've been in? So even, like, competitions that I entered that I didn't get anywhere or I didn't final or, or anything, I had enough feedback to take that story and do something else with. So I met a few people through RWA, so Claire Griffin and Ada January and Sarah Fiddlers. Claire approached me and she said, oh, look, you're writing in the sort of same sort of subgenre that I am. Are you interested in doing an anthology together? And I thought, oh, I've never done this. So that was a bit fun. I think you interviewed Claire about that process. I did, yeah. Yeah, yeah a few years ago. That was during COVID maybe. Was that during COVID? Yeah. That's when our book came out in COVID. But it was a really interesting process. It was lots of fun. And it was so much fun we did it. <laughs> yes. So you've done two. Easter Promises was the first one. And the second one was A Season in Paris. That's right. Yeah, because you yeah. all write historical fiction. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it's a great combination of stories in those anthologies. Well, what do you feel you got out of it? being part of an, an anthology like that, Nancy, in terms of maybe what you learn and then about both sides, the writing and the, the business side. Yeah. On the business side, I certainly learned how to do self-publishing, essentially. I was a tech-savvy one in the group, so I was the one who set it up on that because we had to set it up on, I think we did it through Vellum and then I had to do it because I've got a PC, I don't have a Mac. I had to go through Mac in the cloud and I knew how to do all of that files down, and then just twiddle around with it so it looked nice. I loved making covers as well. That's a bit of entertainment for me. So I made not the first, not for Easter Promises, but the second one for the Paris one. I made the cover for that. Oh, do you? It's yeah. a lovely cover. Mm. And you learn, like, the process about getting stock images, how to use Canva. I love Canva. 
<laughs> and oh, you know, yeah, have a set it up, how to make the jet and all of that sort of stuff. The business side of things, the marketing, I still, I'm still getting a hang of. And then on the craft side of things, it was just really great to be able to share stories with friends who were writing in that same genre. Because when I first joined RWA, I had some critique partners, so the lovely um, Kristen Silk and Delina Stone, um, but they were both writing contemporary at the time, so they weren't writing in the same sort of genre as me. But um, I eventually found Claire and a few others, and they've been uh, fantastic to be able to swap stories with and stop swap ideas with. Like I'm, when I'm a bit stuck, and go, oh, how can I get over this? And they'll go, maybe you should consider this. Or I'll have one chapter and I think I remember sending it to Sarah and saying, this chapter's just not working and I don't know what's wrong with it. And she just came back flat out and said, this is what's wrong with it. Go away and think about it. It's good, isn't it, to have that, yeah. those people that will just tell you because that's you say, yep. that's what you want. It's no help yeah. to you. Just It's lovely to get feedback like, oh, this is so good, I can put it down or whatever. But yeah. you need that feedback with people saying, this would be so much better if you did this or this isn't working because yeah. otherwise how can you improve it? That's right. I didn't start getting any feedback on my writing until I actually joined RWA. Prior to that, I've been in this sort of kind of silence thing and not having any feedback or any feedback I had myself. It's pretty good, but it's just, it just wasn't enough. I think of it in terms of my science career as well. When I started out, there were things that I was doing wrong and I had really good mentors within the science community that I had who said, oh, maybe you should do it like this, maybe you should do it like that. And I was just looking for the same thing yeah. in the, the creative writing side and I think I found it. Yeah. It's probably good that you had that time too where you're just getting into the writing and finding your voice and working out what it was you liked and what you were into with your writing before you got much feedback because I do think that sometimes it can be quite crushing getting feedback. Yes. And if you get it too early, I think that can be a danger of putting your work out there too early or getting feedback too early in your writing, on your writing path that you then think, oh no, I'm no good at this, I'm not going to do it anymore. So Mm. it might might have been good that you had that time just so I started and I was thinking, I didn't know what genre I wanted to write in and I read pretty widely, I read widely across a lot of different genres but oh, I write a science fiction novel. And then the second manuscript I wrote, which was in 2015, was a crime novel. So I've, I've got a crime novel in the bo- bottom drawer somewhere. <laughs> and then in 2017, I was reading a lot of historical fiction and I thought, oh, I'd really like to write an Australian historical. So I wrote an Australian historical. But I remember when I joined RWA, I think I jumped the gun a bit and I did actually send my work off to an editor and that was in 2018. And... I was always quite excited about the idea, oh, I'll get to pitch and I'm going to have this book and maybe it'll get published kind of thing. And I, was just, I think I was just a little bit too excited about that and I sent it off to an editor in Australia here and they came back to me and they said, oh, look, I can't take your money if the book's not ready, essentially. Okay. Yeah, she gave me like, I guess, free editing. And it was quite crushing. It was very crushing. It stopped yeah. me writing for a couple of months. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I needed that. I needed someone to say to me, just hold your horses and slow down. It's a journey mm. and you'll get there eventually kind of thing. Yeah. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's like anything. There's that kind of old cliche that you have to do 10,000 hours of anything yes. before you even start to be proficient at it. And but I think it's certainly true and it's especially true, I think, with something like writing because mm. 
it takes you so long to find your voice and it's something that you're continuously working on. But like you say, there's so much to learn. It's not just a matter of having all these ideas in your head and I put them on paper. Then there's all stuff right. about plotting and structure and weaving dialogue and showing emotion and there's all so much to learn that to expect yourself to do that in a short period of time is just unrealistic, really, I think. Yeah, it, it was a very steep learning term for me, but I remember... So a guy I worked with and another entomologist, he has a partner, and they live down on Tangaroo Island, and she's an artist, so her name's Janine McIntosh, and she does these incredibly, amazingly large sort of mandalas of found objects, so things like galapagos leaves, and, and they've got a property on the edge of the park in Tangaroo Island, and they, she just uses found objects. But we had this discussion about creativity once and she said to me, she goes, oh, some people think I just, it just happens like that. She said, but 10% of it is me thinking about the idea, but then 90% is me sitting there painstakingly sewing these skeletonized leaves onto these canvases and they're huge canvases, but they're really stunningly beautiful. But that was her process. She said it's 10% sort of idea, 90% hard work. And yeah. I think... A lot of people who come to writers and say, oh, I'd love to write a book one day, sort of think that all they have to do is just have the idea, but it's really the labour behind it that actually creates and creates the book. Yeah, yeah, hard work and determination. Mm. And, yeah, determination to, to stick the distance, yeah. which is, yeah. I think, really important. That kind of brings us to now when you have a book coming out very soon, Nancy, Crossing the Bridge. Can you, now, you said that you had a very early version of that back in yes. 2017, I think. Yeah, so late 2017, I had a, I'd written like maybe 40,000 words before Nano, then I did Nano, got another 50,000, and then in early 2018, I polished it off. By the time I finished, I had 145,000 words. Like I said, that steep learning curve, I had to learn that a lot of stuff, backstory, a lot of things just had to go and... There was just a few things that were missing, I think, from the book. And I did pitch it at the conference in 2018 and I did get asked to submit, but I did I got knockbacks for that because right. I think it was just not – it just wasn't good enough, really, I don't think. Yeah. It, it just wasn't enough to sell it to an editor or an agent or anything like that. So I put it away and said, I'll come back to that. And I started working on other things. So that's when I did the novellas and – entered short story competitions and did lots of things like that. And it was always in the back of my mind that I would go back to this book. Yeah. And I think this must have been 2019, about two years, year and a half later, I went back and I thought, I have to rewrite this. So that's what I did. I started rewriting it then, then stopped and did the things and then came back to it again. And then I think it was the 2021 conference, um, which I think was on the Gold Coast. My intention was to go, but then the COVID wave hit again and so yeah. I ended up not going. But I had actually had an opportunity to pitch because it was all online and I pitched it to Club Collins uh, and it was a completely different manuscript. So it wasn't this manuscript. It wasn't Crossing the Bridge. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and so they came back to me and I said, oh, the editor came back and she said, oh, look, um, I, don't, I don't think this is a good fit for us, but I went onto your website and I see you have this other book that you've been talking about that's been winning a few competitions. Why don't you send me that? And I was just like, I went into a bit of a panic because I thought, oh, is that ready? Is that ready? And then so I said to her, so that was in yeah, late 20, yeah, 2021. 
And I said, oh, can I send it to you next year? Because I wanted to refine it and work on it. So I think in May the following year, I sent Crossing the Bridge to the editor. Yeah, in 2021. No, 2022, sorry. And I was hoping to catch up with her at the conference. And then when I got to the conference, I found out that she had left Collins. Uh, and I was just like, oh, okay, what's the fate of my submission? Because nobody had said anything to me. I hadn't received any no thanks kind of thing. And I ended up speaking to another editor and she said to me, oh, send it to me. So I went, okay, I'll send it to you. So I sent it to her and I still hadn't heard anything. And then I found out in late November that she had left as well. Oh, no. Yeah, no, she <laughs> So I was just like, oh, and still no word on, on anything. So I ended up um, contacting one of the senior editors there and she, and she got back to me pretty much straight away. She said, oh, don't worry, we're in a bit of turmoil at the moment. We're just going to, don't worry, somebody will rip it. So in the new year, I got a response from the person who's head up the skate or the editor who does the skate. And she said to me, look, we're actually not looking to publish World War II fiction at the moment because it's popular maybe, not in print anyway. She said, would I be interested in an e-book or, like, digital version? And I went, oh, of course, anything to get one that there. And, yeah, so soon after that, yeah, she came back and she said, I loved it and taken to acquisitions. And, yeah, she came back with Lana and said, yep, we would love it. So Brilliant. Yeah, so it seemed, that seemed very quick once it happened. <laughs> quick but not quick, yeah, with that history of. And this is a really important thing for people out there who are listening to realise is that, Things do change in publishing houses. And you had that manuscript in there with a number of different editors, but just along the way it fell through the cracks because people were leaving. And so it's not always the case that just that you don't hear, that Mm. means they definitely don't want to. Obviously you need to give some time before you do any follow-up, but following up was a really good idea for you in that case. Mm. So tell us about Crossing the Bridge. It's historical fiction, romance. And I'm reading it now, actually, and it's got all these different elements of obviously the war story centred here in Australia and the effect that the war had on, particularly on small towns and also particularly on women and the way that women were pushed in a way into the limelight. They had to step into the shoes that the men had left but weren't really given the respect and kudos or any recognition for the things that they were doing and just the hardships that that people went through. It's really an interesting tale, I think. So can you tell us about the book? It focuses on Poppy, who's a widow, and um, her husband died. He wasn't, he didn't go to war. He was like a farmer, so he was in a protected industry, so encouraged to stay on the farm. And she grew up quite sheltered in the city, and then she goes out onto the farm and learns how to be a farmer's wife, essentially. But she's quite a timid sort of character. Um, especially during her marriage, essentially. I would say that her husband was, he was like the man. He made the decisions. He did these sorts of things. Coming out of that, when he dies, she has to find her feet in some way, but not realising that there's some things that her husband did in the past which is affecting her future and what her future is going to look like. And I just, I guess I would put it in, I would say this is like a rural romance, but set you know, during World War Two, essentially. Yeah, that's describing true. it to people. Yeah. Is that it's a rural romance. It's a woman trying to save her, the legacy of her husband's farm and the legacy for their son and her future, essentially. I thought it was really interesting that the land, the farm passed to the son yeah. on the father's yes. death. 
Yeah, so it passes to him, but she's like a caretaker. So he, she's been overlooked by her husband because he has very set ideas as to what a woman's life should be like, essentially. And that sort of passes through. So in my current novel that I'm currently writing, it's a sequel to Crossing the Bridge. Oh, great. And so that's Ronnie's story. So Ronnie is Poppy's sister-in-law, so her husband's sister. And the legacy of what the male line was like in that family, in the Gilford family, is going to affect Ronnie as well, has affected Ronnie, and that's going to be a theme through that as well, through the next story as well. Because Ronnie's a lot feistier, isn't she? She's very different from Poppy. Poppy's very restrained, whereas Ronnie's just like, no, this is what I'm doing, this is how I'm doing it, and that's very part of her personality, and that was what her brother was like and her father was like. And initially when I wrote the story, I actually had Ronnie as a point of view. Well, I had three points of view initially, and that was one of the feedback I had from editors saying, just have the two, just have the two. <laughs> do you need the third one? So right. I thought, Ronnie deserves her own story, and I'll do that later. Great. Yes. And, of course, the, the hero, if you like, in the story is JB. Tell us yep. a bit about him. Well, JB, he's like, he grew up on a mango farm up in Darwin, in Northern Territory, and he's had a bit of a rough life. He and his sister were living with their aunt and uncle on the family farm because their parents had passed away, and uncle was abusive, so he wasn't a very nice character, essentially, and so that has affected him, and... But he goes on to join join up and goes to war. But before he had done that, he had fallen in love with another with a woman and he wanted to marry her. He was not seen as good enough for her, but not realising that he had also, before he went to war, he had made her pregnant. But he hadn't had a chance to marry her. And then you find out, probably giving too much away, but she <laughs> dies. But she dies in the Darwin bombing. So their son, his sister looks after their son and she takes him to Brisbane when Darwin's evacuated. So mm. that's where the story for them starts. Yeah. I'm loving all the different threads you've got going on in the story, yeah. Nancy. There's the backdrop of the overseas war, but very much the war as an effect of Australia. Mm. And then obviously Poppy's situation with trying to hang on to the farm, particularly for her son. There's another mystery around surrounding her husband and then you've also got the romance. You've got all these different elements which I think makes the story just really engaging. There were so many different things that I wanted to find out about and made it a real page-turning kind of experience. Yeah, I, I've just had this, I've had this real fascination for Australia during wartime, what it was like essentially and you've got what happened up in Darwin and then you've got Brisbane and then all the troops coming over and they went to Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne and then that aspect where Ronnie goes, Ronnie spends most of the war in Melbourne and then you've got the aspect of returning soldiers as well. And returning soldiers, not just because they're injured, but a lot of soldiers were demobbed back into Australia to help with labour shortages because it got really bad towards the end of the war. Like JB, he's been injured, but he's not severely injured. He couldn't go back to war, but they said, you know, go and get a job, go and help with labour. So that's his character when he's come back. He's been injured, he's... Because of the trauma of his childhood and, I guess, a bit of war trauma from his injury, he's just thinking, what am I doing? I'm lost. And yeah. he's just trying to find peace within himself. Yeah, yeah. Two questions. First of all, like we were just talking about all the, the backdrop, but did you have to do a lot of research, Nancy, or was it something that you already had that interest in so you knew a lot about and then you then had to add to that? Uh, I think I had a little bit of knowledge beforehand, but... 
I'm one of those that I love research and I love looking at stuff. And one of my favourite websites is Trove, um, oh, yeah. which is all the old newspapers. So anything that I didn't know about, I would go and look on Trove and then I would find something else. It would take me somewhere else. It would take me to another story and to another story and to another story. And then there's a lot of papers being written about wartime and the effect of, say, the Americans coming over here. And I have research because of my, through my work, I actually have research access to a lot of libraries too. So I can oh, go yeah. down a bit of a rabbit hole there if I need. But yeah, it was just an interest with a little bit of knowledge. And then I just added to it where I needed to in the story. But even, even then you can get things wrong. So even like very late in the process, you can things wrong. People would say, oh, did, did this really happen back in 1944 or whatever? So, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I'll just go and check. And even like little things like, I won't give too many spoilers, but towards the end where there's like a magistrate and a judge, and I didn't really know the difference. And it was one of the editors at um, Collins who basically pointed out to me, oh, maybe you should just look that up before we find a lot like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so easy to, even though you do those rigorous revisions, mm. Little details like that are so easy yeah, yeah. to miss, aren't they? I and mean, it can be something that uh, somebody else picks up in an instant, but you don't have that ability to be objective about your writing. You're so close and to it. I think I had a scene in the book where yeah. they go to this little grove, and in the groves I had tulips growing. And I remember very early on one of my early critique partners said to me, where are the tulips in Australia? And I thought, oh, I don't know where they are. And then I actually did a bit of research and I found that there were no tulips in Australia pretty much before, say, 1955, I think. Well, that's the thing with historical fiction too, isn't it? There's just the general normal research that you do into things that you don't know about that exist now, but then in his historical times it can be so different or non-existent even. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, And yeah. I think it's really easy to fall into anachronisms, you know, having modern speech where it didn't exist. For example, okay, people say, okay, it wasn't really commonplace until after the war and that was an American influence essentially. Before that, people didn't really say okay that much. So how did you find that out? I've actually got this great book. I haven't got it here. It's upstairs, but it's basically Australian slang dating back to World War One. So initially, it was focused on World War One, but I do have other books which talk about Australian slang in particular and the etymology of it. Like when did it originate? Where was it first said? You just have to Google things like when did Australians start first using "okay" as, yeah. as part of their everyday language. Just little things like that. There's a lot of websites that. Focus on etymology of that, of any words that you need. You can just go back and have a look and go say the mechanism. Am I doing the right thing? <laughs> just a yeah. combination of Google and a few books that I've got lying around. Yeah, love Google. Yeah. Where would we be without it? Now, you said you're a planner and you do like to plan things out. So I imagine it was the same with this book. And I know the book has been through numerous kind of iterations mm. and, and has changed a lot from its original version. But how do you, when you're planning like that, how do you go about developing your characters? Do you plan a lot about the characters and their backstory and everything first, or is that something that you find out as you're writing? How does that work for you? Again, that, that's something I've probably learned over the last few years because I, I just was fairly loose with how I did my characters when I first wrote books. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, but as I've gone on, I've started to focus more on the character development before I actually start writing. So creating GM goals, motivation, conflict for those characters. And I think what was really helpful for me was 
going through the whole process and trying to find out what their wounds were, what was the line. I think the, the one I really loved is, you know, what's the lie that they tell themselves and how does that resolve at the end and how does that cause conflict right throughout the, the book. And I found One Stop for Writers, which is part of oh, Beckham. love it. Yeah, and like it's one of my favourite sites now, especially for creating characters because you can actually sit down and do this whole thing, like saying this is their emotional wound, how's that going to affect their behaviour and how's what's the line that they tell themselves and what are the behaviours associated with that line, how does that affect their interaction with other characters. And it's been really great to actually be able to draw this portrait of a character before you actually write them or write any interactions with any other characters. Look, I swear by that now. Yeah, look, I was doing exactly that yesterday. I've got to write a novella for next year's anthology, Christmas anthology. No idea where I was starting. So I thought I'll just start with a character and I went into that character builder on One Stop for Writers. And the good thing, the thing I love about it too is even if you don't use exactly what they have there, yeah. it makes you think about the character and it forces yeah. you into thinking, oh, no, that's what I need to know about her or that's what's going to happen to her. It just pushes you and it, mm. all the different suggestions that they have there there's so many that, yeah, you can easily grab one. I, I thought, as I was using it yesterday, I actually thought you could sit here and just pick every wound or every secret oh, or whatever yes, and just write could. a story just about that. Yeah. And I really like it because it does really – I love dialogue. I love writing dialogue and I keep thinking you have dialogue between two characters and I like to try and make it sound as natural as possible. And I'm thinking you've got a character who's got certain personality traits would they really say that in a conversation? And it makes you think about that. Like when you sit back and you're looking at maybe conflict between two characters and you have one character say something, you say, no, the ca- she would never say that or he would never say that, not certainly out loud. They might think that, but they certainly wouldn't say it out loud. And it does make you think about every aspect of characters throughout the, throughout the book or the story and how you're going to develop character over that period so I think it was Natasha Lester's one of the first workshops I ever went to through RWA was her plot and story but she yeah. did the whole uh, the triangle arc and I like to yeah. think of characters specifically for that like that this is how they're acting now what's changed here to make them go like this I think that's so important thinking about who your character is at the beginning and then who they are at the end yeah and then of course your story is about how they get to that yep. final place isn't it and of course all the stuff that you do in preparation for it if you use one stop for writers or character profiles or whatever mm. and then you learn more about them once you put them on the page too don't you they yeah. to take on a Definitely. life of their own yeah and i think like i said with the early draft i had which needed a lot of work i remember i had some feedback from someone i know who works for writers yes and I sent her the first few chapters and she said to me, she said, Nancy, Poppy is coming across as a bit of a victim. Like she doesn't seem to have much agency, especially early on in those chapters. You have to give her some agency. Otherwise, her character is not going to carry through. People are not, people are going to go, no, I'm not interested in what happens to this character. So I had to do, I think, a lot of work uh, on her, especially early on. Okay, well, how am I going to make her, she's quite a passive character in lots of ways, but... I needed to make her interesting and I needed to give her agency of some sort in order for the story to progress and for people to stay interested. Yeah, and you do that right from the very beginning because she's the one, she's picking Ronnie up and yeah. then she's saying, no, Ronnie, we're going here, we've got to do this. She's taking control of her life because she has to, doesn't she? She's on yeah. her own with the son. And so I think you've done that very well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> 
So since you got that kind of yes from HQ, Escape Publishing, how has that whole editing process been for you from that point on to, to the point where it's about to come out? Oh, it was really, it was really good actually. I think I, I didn't need a developmental edit or a structural edit because I think I've been working on it for so many years that it was fairly sound in structure. So the first edit I had was a copy edit and that was really good. It was really fantastic actually. The editor through HubCollins was just like laying everything out and there was nothing that I could disagree with that she had put down. So it was really straightforward for me, nothing complicated at all. And as someone who loves to do cover design, I was actually on a not-so-solitary scribe Zoom call with you, I think, when your cover for Crossing the Bridge came through and I just remember looking at your face and you said, I've just got the cover and it was just like we're all waiting, we're all holding our breath and then you were like, oh, yeah. Oh, look, you know, when, when that pro, I sent a whole pile of ideas. And because I'm like, I love Canva, but I resisted the urge to send him my version of what I think the cover should look like because I'm discouraged because that can probably interfere with how the designers yeah, fit in with them. Yeah, other, yeah. And I remember getting it and just thinking, wow, like, that's amazing. And Suzanne, who's my editor, she came back and she said, oh, do you love it? And I think I heard her. Lots of authors say, this is the cover, hope you love it as much as we do. Oh, that's the standard line. But it was, it was perfect. I think the only thing that I wanted tweaked was uh, the hair colour. They just locked it up and it was perfect. Yeah. They did a perfect job and they added a little quote there from Victoria, so that was really nice. Oh, oh perfect. And, of course, just behind you there, Ned's yep. in your cabinet, you've got the print copy there. So I got the idea, I went to somebody else's launch and she had done something very similar published with Escape, but it's just a card, so it's the cover. Oh, okay, brilliant. And then on the back, I've done just the blurb. Then there's a little QR code down the bottom. I'm having a launch in January, a CWA-style afternoon tea. Oh, and, fantastic. And Victoria's going to interview me, so that'd be really great. But I can take these cards and I can actually sign them. So instead of actually having the book, I can sign the card. So I thought that was a really great idea. So... And the QR code takes you yes, to the Yes, it takes you to Collins. So the HarperCollins website has links to all the places you can buy digital, like if you've got a code or on Amazon yep. or Google Play and Apple Books as well. So. Yeah. That's such a great idea. I love that, the idea of the card and the, the QR. And good on you for having a launch. I was going to ask you about your launch. So that's really exciting. Yeah, so I, I hadn't planned on doing it because it's on the 1st of January, of course, and everybody's going to come up on the 1st of January. So I've lined up with my local library, Payton Library, and I spoke to them about it. We'd love to host you here. And so they're doing all the marketing for it. And they'll put on tea and coffee, and uh, Victoria's going to come to interview me. And three of my friends said, we're going to do all the catering. So the catering's going to be eat songs and afternoon tea and probably some cake and things like that. I'm really, I'm looking forward to it. Be lots of oh, that's exciting. You've got to celebrate it. It's such a big event to, to Yeah, to the first full-length book out there. It's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Is that on the 1st of January? No, that's on the 21st of January. So it's a little bit Are they going to Zoom that at all? You know? I haven't thought about that, but I could probably do that because I have seen live stream. People have live live streamed their launches and stuff, so 
I may do that. I just need to do a bit yeah. of figuring it out first. I'm really excited for you, Nancy. It's a great story and you're a fantastic writer and I just well, thank you. admire the way that you have just worked and worked at your craft and, of course, we continue to do that. But my final question for you is what do you think is at the heart of your writing? I think for me at the heart of my writing is the journey, the journey for both the characters and myself as a writer it's not the end point, essentially. It's that all the bits along the way. Because I keep thinking about the storytelling aspect again is that great stories that I've loved, I've revisited in my head so many times. And it's that journey of that story that has resonated with me. And I, and I hope that's come across in Crossing the Bridge and anything else that I write. I love that. And those moments that make the journey up, those no. memorable moments that, you, like you say, you keep going back to in the story and thinking about they're yeah, definitely like lie awake at night and I think, oh, what am I going to think about tonight? Oh, I'll think about that. It's the nice way to drift and to sleep. <laughs> sometimes I drift off to sleep doing that, but sometimes does your brain then get hooked on the story and you think, oh, and then this could happen and then that could happen. Oh, definitely. The nano story that I'm writing now, I was actually sick in hospital when I came up with the idea for this story, and that was a couple of years ago. I had been in hospital and with MS, if you have an exacerbation, they give you steroids. They give you a really massive dose of steroids ah. and you become completely wired. You're like, you can't sleep. And so I'd lay awake on the second night I was in hospital and I actually dreamed up the whole story then. Oh, wow. It's been sitting in the back of my brain for two years now thinking, I'm going to put this down at some point. I'm going to put this down. It's a little <laughs> silver lining yeah, yeah. to being ill for that moment. But so good that you're getting it out. So what's your plan next? Are you going to revise your nano or have you got another novel that you're going back to? I've got another manuscript which has done really well in competitions. It did win the Pacific Hearts competition and the uh, Romance Writers of New Zealand. And that story, I did a pitch for that through the ASA and I've been asked for a full manuscript for that. So I just need to polish that a little bit. So that'll be my next project once Nano is finished for the year. Yeah. And then I think maybe February next year, I'll go back to my current story, current nano story, and start working on the second draft of that. But yeah, brilliant. Well, you've got yeah. plenty to keep you busy. I do, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Nancy. It's been such a pleasure chatting to you. I'm going to let you get back to your working day, yep. your other working day. And good luck with crossing the bridge. Can't wait for it to get out there and be in Reader's hands. Awesome. Thanks, Pam. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening to Rights for Women. I hope you've enjoyed my chat with this week's guest. If you did, I'd love it if you could add a quick rating or review wherever you get your podcasts so others can more easily find the episodes. Don't forget to check out the backlist on the Rights for Women website and you can also find the transcript of today's chat on the website too. You can find details on the website on how to support the podcast through Patreon, and you can connect with me through the website at rightsforwomen.com, on Instagram and Twitter at W4WPodcast, the Facebook page Rights for Women, or find me and my writing at pamelacook.com.au. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. And remember, every word you write, you're one word closer to typing the end. <laughs>